Hey, Convergent Church, as always, it's a joy, it's a privilege to gather with you here this morning to sing, to pray, to grow, to encourage one another in our journey of following after Jesus. And if you're here for the first time, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Convergent, and I'm so grateful and humbled by the opportunity that I have here this morning to point you to Jesus. Now, how many are are here because... A long time ago, they made a promise to God that if the Lions won a playoff game, they would come to church. Anyone? Hey, if, all right. If that's you, you're, you're, you're welcome. We're, we're grateful to have you. And today, we're going to be continuing in a series um, that we've titled Values. We've been working through our core values as a church. And how fitting. It was earlier this week that I got a notification on Facebook. I had a memory that it was three years ago this past week that... Um, we were starting a new church for the people of Owasso. What began as this calling from God and a a dream of what he could do in our city has blossomed from uh, just a couple of families in a living room to, to what we see here this morning. And we're really just getting started. But from that first day until now, the vision has remained the same. And our vision is this to bring Jesus' kingdom to our city. That is to say, our vision is to see Jesus worshiped in the city of Owasso as he is right now in heaven. And that sounds incredible, right? It has a nice ring to it. As a matter of fact, like what Christian wouldn't want to see that happen in their city? But, but it's one thing to say it, right? It's quite another to live it. It's one thing to say it, it's quite another to do it. When we first started Convergent Church, it, it wasn't because there weren't enough churches in Owasso. I don't know if you've driven around, but you'd be hard-pressed to not find one on nearly every corner. When we started Convergent Church, it, it wasn't because we wanted to build our own little kingdom or, or, or to do our own version of church. We didn't start a church because we felt like all the other churches had gotten it wrong, and so we were coming to set the record straight. Rather, it was because we wanted to reach those who were far from God with the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And we never intended to do the status quo. That's to say, we never purposed to merely be another church that just gathers on Sunday mornings for a quick holy huddle and then lives our lives autonomously and scattered from one another. When we first began, there was this zeal to to authentically be in community with one one another, to be going on mission together, to literally turn our city upside down with the gospel. But somewhere along the line, I began to feel that zeal wane. Not only in our church, but in my own heart. Maybe it's because like, as more people began to gather, things started to feel more like a quote-unquote real church. But I think we all began to just kind of settle in. That church just became another part of our week, where we come together on Sunday, right? We put on our best smiles, we sing some songs, we hear a sermon, then we go home until next week when we'll do it all over again. Well, this 
past fall, as I was reflecting on the vision that God had called us to as a church, to bring his kingdom to Owasa, to see him worshiped in our city as he is in heaven. As I began reflecting on the magnitude of that, and then I looked at at where we were at as a church, like this unrest just began to brew in me. This frustration began to brew in me. And I remember very vividly walking into staff meeting one week in our office upstairs, sitting down, looking Jameson in the face, and Jameson, what did I say? I looked at him and I was just like, what the, what the heck are we doing, right? We've got this massive vision, but I feel like not only as a church, but we as leaders, like we've just been mailing it in. We've just settled into the normal way of, of doing church. Listen, guys, the, the status quo isn't what Jesus has called us to. Comfort isn't what Jesus has called us to. Here's the reality. We could keep doing the same thing that we've been doing the last couple of years and still probably see some marginal growth year over year. Heck, we could even do some good things in our community. But we'd also never see our vision become a reality because it's too great for passivity. It's far too great for us to engage in it for just one hour each week on Sunday mornings. Here's the deal. A vision devoid of a mission, and executed strategy is just a fantasy. A vision devoid of a mission and an executed strategy is just a fantasy. As noble and as spiritual as bringing Jesus' kingdom to the city of Owasso sounds, it's just a pipe dream until we actually get in the game and engage in the mission. It's nothing more than a good intention, and it's been said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So I began asking myself, as pastors, we began trying to discern, like, what needs to happen this year to move the needle forward on seeing this vision fulfilled in our midst of seeing Jesus's kingdom come? In what ways can we put our hands to the plow to make some progress on what God has called us to do? Well, that really leads us to to an even deeper question that we must consider first, and that's the question I'd like to put before you this morning, which is this. How will Jesus' kingdom come to the city of Owasso? How will Jesus' kingdom come to the city of Owasso, right? That's our vision. That's where we're going. But how does that happen? By what means? Because that determines how we proceed forward from here. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and we'll be beginning in verse 13. This morning, we're going to be discussing our value of gospel conversation. And in Romans 10, 13, Paul says this. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Point number one, for Jesus' kingdom to come to the city of Owasso, people must call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. 
We see that in verse one. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the deal. Jesus is a king unlike the kings of this earth with a kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus is a countercultural king with a countercultural kingdom. Now, a kingdom extends so far as a king's rule extends. And for a moment, I just want you to think, how is it that, that earthly kingdoms grow? How is it that earthly kingdoms advance? Well, historically speaking, it's been by the sword, right? Kings' territories extend as they advance with military power, war, and conquest of new territories. But get this, while the kings of this earth take life to grow their kingdom, Jesus gave of his own life to grow his kingdom. While the kings of this earth take life to grow their kingdom, Jesus gave of his own life to grow his kingdom. While earthly kingdoms come through conquests, Jesus' kingdom comes through calling. Now, let me give you a little more context, right? By, by default, all of mankind is separated from God and his kingdom by sin. Romans 3.23 explains it in this way. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, take note of how it says all, not some. All, not some. That's to say that, that, that nobody is exempt. Nobody is immune. All have fallen short of God's glory. In spite of God giving us all that we needed and telling us how we can thrive, we rebelled. We've lied. We've lusted. We've cheated. We've hated. We've chosen to find our satisfaction in the, creative thing, the created things of this world instead of the creator God who is to be praised. And Romans 6, 23 explains how all this amounts. It says that the, the wage that our sin affords us, right? Our sin deserves us of death. In Ephesians 2, 1, Paul takes it a step further in explaining that because of sin, we are all by nature spiritually dead, which means more than merely being separated from God and his kingdom, in and of ourselves, we are incapable of coming to God to settle up because dead things don't move, let alone make themselves right with God. So all that remained for you and I was judgment, condemnation, and eternal punishment for our sin in hell. This is the fate of every person walking the face of this earth by default because we've all willingly rebelled against God. But the good news for you and I is that before God even formed the earth, before he even formed its foundations, before he even spoke it into existence, God's love existed for you. I don't know who, who needs to hear that this morning, but somebody needs to hear that. Before God even created the world, his love existed for you. So when mankind rebelled against God, he wasn't content to let us meet the destruction that we rightfully deserved for our sin. But we couldn't save ourselves. So he took our redemption into his own hands. And the Son of God willingly stepped down from heaven, being born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. And he lived a perfect life, keeping all of the commands of God that we had broken. He laid his life down and died on a sinner's cross in our place as our substitute so that we could be forgiven of all of our sin. 
And on the third day, he rose from the grave, forever conquering death's power over us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And now all who call upon his name will be saved. All who call upon his name will be transferred from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. All who call upon his name will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I say all that to say that Jesus' kingdom comes to this city as men and women look upon his sacrifice on their behalf and in an act of worship call upon him for rescue because they realize that they cannot save themselves. Jesus' kingdom extends so far as his worship extends. It extends so far as his worship extends. And Jesus' kingdom advances as hearts incline towards him. You see, it's, it doesn't advance in the taking of life, but in the giving of life. Not in the conquest, but in the calling. Not in the works of our own hands, but in the works that Jesus has done for us. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's no distinction that's the most beautiful part of it. Do you see that, that word there? He says, everyone. That is to say, any and all. That is to say, whosoever will. It's for men, it's for women, it's for religious, and it's for the non-religious. It's for the conservative and for the liberal. It's for the rich and for the poor. It's for the native and the immigrant. This is the good news for all people who will call upon his name because his kingdom is a kingdom that consists of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jesus' kingdom comes to the city of Owasso as people call upon his name for salvation and submit their lives to his kindly rule. Let's continue into verse 14 where we'll see our second point. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Point number two, to call upon the name of Jesus, people must be given the opportunity to hear and to believe the gospel. Here, Paul begins this logical progression to, to build his case. For Jesus' kingdom to extend throughout our city, people must call upon his name. But they can only call upon his name if they believed in their hearts that he is Lord, that his death, burial, and resurrection were sufficient to cover all of their sin, to grant their forgiveness, reconciliation, and eternal life in his kingdom. Earlier, if we were to back up a little bit um, in chapter 10 to verse 9, we would see Paul explain that we must first believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, to in turn confess with our mouths that he is Lord, so that we can be saved. So in order to call, they must first believe. Yet in order to believe, they must have been given the opportunity to hear the good news. Paul's asking, how can they call if they've never been afforded the opportunity to either hear nor believe? Here's the deal, guys. There are currently 8 billion people on earth. Well, more than 8 billion, but we'll just round it out. There's 8 billion people on the earth right now. 3.4 billion of whom have been classified as unreached. They are those who've never heard the gospel nor have access to it currently. That is to say, they don't live in a community like Owasso with a church on every corner. That's a staggering 42% of the world's population. Constituting 7,246 different 
people groups. People group meaning that they have their, their own culture, they have their own context, they have their own language. There's 7,246 different unreached people groups. So get this, 40% of the world's population, apart from a supernatural encounter of God, will die having never been given the opportunity to call upon Jesus' name for salvation because they've never had the opportunity to hear or to believe the gospel. That's heavy. That should break our hearts. That should move us to missions. Now, I realize God may not be calling many of us to forsake our vocation and sell our homes to be trained, equipped, and sent overseas to a remote village to engage an unreached people group with the gospel, though that certainly may be his will for some of us. But for now, I would just say consider our city. While there is plenty of access to churches in Owasso, most recently, the, the statistic I've seen would, would show that uh, in spite of 50 local churches, only 10% of the people in Owasso, in Owasso would say that they belong to a Protestant church. That's staggering. Of the 15,000 people who live in our city, only 1,500 belong to a faith community where they can learn, where they can grow, where they can serve, where they can be encouraged in their journey of faith with Jesus. So what about the other 90 what about the other 90%? Jesus' kingdom coming to Owasso means giving those 13,500 people the opportunity to hear and believe the gospel so they can call upon the name of Jesus and be rescued from their sin. Every day, you and I are surrounded by people, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and strangers alike who have never heard or at the very least never received the gospel. We're surrounded by thousands of people in this city who currently remain under condemnation for their sin. They have no hope in this life or the next, and they may not even know it because no one has had the courage to engage with them on a spiritual level. So for a moment, I'd like for you to think about your sphere of influence. Who in your sphere of influence has never called upon the name of Jesus for rescue from their sin? Who in your sphere of influence is still relying upon their own ability to, to, to be a good person or to tilt the scales in their favor? Who in your life needs to be given the opportunity to hear and believe the gospel? Who is God burdening your heart for? I want you to write down just the first few names that come to your mind. Either write it down or put it in a note on your phone. Who are those first few people that you think of who, who, if you're honest, you're like, I don't, I don't think that they know Jesus. I don't know that they've ever even had the opportunity to hear of who he is or what he has done. Maybe it's grandma or grandpa. Maybe it's mom or dad. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's your boss or your coworker or your employee. Heck, it could be a gas station attendant, a barista or a waiter at your favorite restaurant. Paul asks of us, how then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Now let's continue into the second half of verse 14 where he says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Point number three, for others to hear and believe the gospel, we must proclaim the gospel. 
The means by which people hear, believe, and call upon the name of the Lord is through the preaching of the gospel, through the proclamation of the gospel, through the sharing of the gospel. In Convergent Church, God has redeemed us and placed us in this city precisely for this purpose, to proclaim the good news. Now, you may think that you're simply here because it's where you were raised, or you may think it's you're here because this is where your job is. You may think that you're here because it's the only place that you could find affordable housing, but God had something bigger in mind. You and I are God's plan for reaching the world around us with the gospel. He's redeemed us to, in turn, redeem the world around us. You see, the work of reaching the lost and preaching the gospel isn't for some elite group of super-Christians. There's not like this secret spiritual SWAT team that we can call in for reinforcements. You and I are it. For those people in our sphere of influence, you and I are it. So how will people hear and believe the gospel if we don't take ownership of sharing it with them? Now on this point, I need to be very clear. What do I mean when I say preach the gospel or proclaim the gospel or, or share the gospel? Almost any time our individual responsibility to preach the gospel is mentioned, someone will throw out this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. As a matter of fact, I even heard it at a local pastor's gathering this last Tuesday. And it goes like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. The, the sentiment that's being expressed here is that when we live lives of integrity and lives out the truths of Scripture, people notice. And listen, guys, I'm a big fan of, uh, of us not being jerks, right? I'm a big fan of us living good lives towards those around us. As a matter of fact, I would encourage each and every one of you to live a lifestyle that's worthy of the calling that you've received in the Lord. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it's impossible to preach the gospel without using words. It's impossible to share the gospel without using words. The reality is this, I can live a morally upright life. I can love my neighbors myself. I can do good things in the community. But that doesn't communicate to someone that Jesus came, died, was buried, and raised to life to free them from their bondage to sin. It doesn't do that. So while we should, and I would even go as far as to say we must demonstrate the love of Christ through our actions, it can't stop there, guys. We must open our mouths. Because verbally sharing the gospel is the natural overflow of a heart that's been changed by the gospel. Verbally sharing the gospel is the natural overflow from a heart that's been changed by the gospel. This past Christmas morning, um, Sarah, my daughter Hadden, and I got up early to go to my parents' house to celebrate Christmas with my side of the family. And before I even made it in the door of the house... I think I was in the garage. <laughs> my nephew Isaiah comes running out the garage shouting, Uncle Dan, Uncle Dan, I, I got a convergent hoodie for Christmas. <laughs> Uncle Dan, I got an Aiden Hutchinson jersey for Christmas. I got Hot Wheels for Christmas. He was so overjoyed by the gifts that he had received that he could not contain his excitement. He couldn't help 
but tell of what he had received. And so it ought to be with us, church. We've received a great gift, the greatest gift ever, in fact. We've not merely been granted a second chance in Jesus. We've been given a new life all together. I often say this, if he had just given us a second chance, at least me, I would have screwed it up. <laughs> and if he gave me a third chance, I would have screwed that up. In Jesus, we have new life to, all together. He's removed our record of wrongs. He's canceled our debts and he's given us eternal life. How could we not then tell the world? Now it's important. What is the gospel that we are to share? I feel like the word gospel has kind of become a, a junk drawer term. <laughs> we had some people in our church partnership course this morning who were like, the way that they were raised, like the word gospel doesn't even mean gospel. It means something else entirely. So what, is, what does it mean? Well, it can be as in-depth, contextualized, and personal as you want to make it. You can even include your testimony of how God has worked in your life. Here's the deal. That's something that nobody can debate with you because that's your experience, Right? But in its simplest form, sharing the gospel includes addressing sin, the fact that Jesus is God, that he went to the cross, that he died for our sin, that he was raised to life, and that any who turn from their sin and believe in him will receive forgiveness. These are the non-negotiables, right? Sin, Jesus, cross, and repentance. Here at Convergent, when we explain what the gospel is in our church partnership course, we found it most helpful and memorable to biblically unpack the words God, man, Christ, and response. So what is the gospel? God. God is the creator of all things. He is perfectly holy, worthy of all worship, and will punish sin. Man, all people, though created good, have become sinful by nature, from birth, all people are alienated from God, hostile to God, and subject to the wrath of God. Christ, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death on a cross to bear God's wrath in our place of all who would believe in him and rose from the grave in order to give his people eternal life. Response, God calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and trust in Christ in order to be saved. This is the gospel. And if you weren't able to, to jot it down quick enough um, after the service, see me, we've got some postcards that have it on it. I actually keep it right in my Bible, right? So as I'm engaging with people, it's like, you know, a good reminder. And it's a good, it's a good little script to have for us there. Um, it's also on our website. So if you go to our website, you can find it there as well. But for people to hear and believe the gospel, thirdly, we must proclaim the gospel. So moving into point number four this morning, to proclaim the gospel, we must be on mission. Paul says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here's the deal, guys. Each and every one of us has been sent. Through the Great Commission, right? Jesus, before his ascension to heaven, after his death, burial, and resurrection, his parting words to his disciples where all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing, teach them to obey all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the mandate on everyone's life who's professed their faith in Jesus. But even more than that, those of you who've gone through church partnership, right, what do we do? Once you've gone through our partnership course, we bring you up before the church and we commission you into full-time ministry to use your home, to use your workplace, to use your neighborhood, to use your spheres of influence as your God-given mission field. 
We've all been sent, but here's the deal. Some of us have gone AWOL. You see, we, we like the benefits, but we are not so much for the discomfort or the sacrifice. So the problem's not that we haven't been sent, but maybe that we've become disengaged. And there can be a number of reasons for that, right? There's a lot of barriers as to, as to, as to why maybe we haven't shared uh, the gospel. But as I mentioned earlier, sharing the gospel is the natural overflow from a heart that's been changed by the gospel. It's what most naturally occurs when we encounter the grace and the mercy of God. Now, what I'm about to say next may sting a little, but I have to say it because I love you. If there's no part of you that desires to share the gospel it very well could be because you yourself have never received the gospel. If there's absolutely nothing inside of you that says, man, I, I, I want to tell others about Jesus, it may be because you've never actually truly encountered him. Because get this, to know Jesus is to love Jesus, and to love Jesus is to share Jesus. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. To love Jesus is to share Jesus. Now, let me, let me circle back and add a little nuance because I'm sure some of us are like, oh my gosh, do I not love Jesus? <laughs> so let me give some nuance. There's a huge difference between the, the statement, I have no desire to share the gospel and I'm really scared to share the gospel. Two different things. As a matter of fact, I, I've never met a Christian that didn't want to share the gospel but I think most of us are afraid to do so. So if that's you this morning, you're in good company. Earlier this week, I turned to my panel of experts to get some feedback on this point. I turned to Facebook. <laughs> I asked my Facebook friends the following question. What are the barriers to you sharing the gospel with those around you more frequently? And here were some of their answers. Approval and acceptance. Fear of having the conversation with someone who may not want to have that conversation. Another person said lack of knowledge, right? The, the fear of someone asking us a question that we don't have the answer to. Someone else said judgment. The fear of people looking at you differently when they find out that you're a Christian. Someone else said rejection. That, that, that people don't want to hear what we have to say and that they, will, that they mock it. Someone else said contextualization, not, not knowing how to incorporate it into the regular workday in a secular place of employment. Others said anxiety, which I think could, could be encompassed in, in literally all of the above. You guys, these are, these, are, these are answers from real Christians just like you and I who really want to share the gospel but often struggle with it. And man, I wish I had the time this morning to just like go by these line by line and, and give you some tips and to offer you some encouragement. And those of you who commented on Facebook or those of you who want to send me a message on Facebook, I will respond to every single one of those. There's nothing more that I desire than to help you get more comfortable in sharing the gospel with others. But for the sake of time today, I, I just don't have the time to, to dive into all of it. But man, there, there's a lot of reasons why we struggle with this. And so like, let me, one of our values here is transparency. We talked about it last week. So let me, let me just exercise a little transparency for you. You know, one of the barriers for me was that I felt like I didn't have time. So for those of you who don't know, I, I work outside of the church. I work, I, well, it was a full-time job. I'm scaling back my hours a little bit now, but, but I work 20 to 35 hours outside of the church each week. And so I had, 
I had come to view my place of employment as an obstacle to me being able to share the gospel. Because I'm like, man, I can't do the work in ministry because every day I got to go to work. Just full transparency, that's, that's where I was at. And I remember praying and, and just <laughs> giving that to God and just being like, just, he just hit me in the chest. He just confronted me with the reality that my place of employment is my mission field, right? That the mission field isn't somewhere else. The mission field is wherever God has placed you. And so for me, that was AZ branding solutions. So, so instead of viewing my life compartmentalized as like, this is my work life and this is my life being a Christian, those two things have become intricately intertwined. And so now I go into work each day not with the mentality of this is detracting me from what God wants to do. This is an obstacle to me sharing the gospel. Rather going, man, God has put me in this place to encourage my coworkers and to share the gospel with them. Many of them know Jesus have professed faith in Jesus, but not all of them. And I've been able to have conversations on the regular about that. But then there's also all the customers and all the clients that I, that I get to work with. Those people need to hear the gospel too. So what I believed to be a barrier was in fact no barrier at all. Guys, a, a lot of us, though I know, just wrestle with timidity, right? We're, we're so scared of this re- rejection. But a, a, a recent LifeWay research statistic revealed that 78% of believers said that they would be open to hearing from a Christian what they believe about Jesus. So almost 80% of the people in your life who you're scared to share the gospel with are actually waiting for someone to share the gospel with them. That should encourage us. So, man, as much as I'd love to, again, go down and break down each one of those things, we don't have time to do that this morning, but I love just to think about the example that Jesus set for us as far as how we are to engage in sharing the gospel. So think about what we've seen in in the life of Jesus. Jesus would encounter people in their time of need. Jesus was drawn to people in their brokenness. Maybe it was hunger. Maybe it was that they, that they needed healing of their body. Maybe it was poverty. And in each case, Jesus ministered to that physical need that they had. But he didn't just meet the need and then walk away, right? It's not, it's not preach the gospel, use words if necessary. No, Jesus would address that brokenness. He would address that need as a means to then Get to know them. He asked them intentional questions. He discerned. And then he spoke the truth of the gospel into their brokenness. Guys, brokenness is the one common denominator of every person walking the face of this planet. All of us have experienced brokenness in various degrees. All of us have experienced loss. All of us knows what it is to hurt, to cry, to struggle. So my encouragement to you is this. Man, before you even attempt to share the gospel with anyone, those people that I had you write down, pray for them. Pray for them. And then next, listen to them. Ask intentional questions. Make it your quest to discern How is this person broken? Because get this, there's no brokenness in this world that Jesus isn't the remedy for. There's no brokenness that we'll encounter in this world that Jesus isn't the remedy for. So discern that brokenness. And then as the opportunity comes, speak the gospel into it. 
And most importantly, remember that it's not your job to fix them. It's not your job to fix them. We've all been sent. The question then is, are we obedient? Are we obedient? Will we speak the name of Jesus? In verse 17, Paul summarizes all that he's spoken thus far with the simple word of faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we began with this question of how does Jesus' kingdom come to our city? And we've seen that it comes through people calling upon Jesus' name for rescue from their sin. But in order for that to happen, they must be given the opportunity to hear and believe the good news of Jesus. And God has sent you and I to share that good news with them. The main point this morning is this. Because people are saved by hearing and believing the truth of the gospel, we must be intentional about speaking the gospel to others about sharing the gospel with others. So what is it that moves the needle on seeing this vision come to a reality? It's our value of gospel conversations. And with that being said, I'm excited to announce our 365 Gospel Conversations initiative. We've got a graphic up here, 365 Gospel Conversations, the gospel for every day. So one way that we're purposing to get traction this year on seeing Jesus' kingdom come to our city as it is in heaven is for us collectively as a church to share the gospel 365 times in 2024. That means that one person in our city every single day for the next year will have the opportunity to hear of what Jesus, who Jesus is and of what he has done. And earlier I asked you to write down the names of a few people in your life who, who need to hear the gospel Here's the deal. We currently average about 70 people on Sunday mornings here. So for us to hit this goal, each one of us would need to share the gospel five times. Five times in the year. That's it. Do you guys think that we can do this together? Right? Can we penetrate the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light? Can we be a people who will speak forth the name of Jesus? This is Jesus' means for bringing his kingdom to our city. This is the way in which he will be worshiped in Owasso as he is in heaven. But it's been said that we only do that which we measure. We only do that which we are accountable for. So, so that, to that end, here's how this is going to work this year. Uh, we've been in the process of, of building a display. Here's the start of it. Uh, Matt Diamond built this for us. Everyone say, thanks, Matt. thanks, Matt. That was like the most unenthusiastic thing that I've thanks, ever heard. Matt. I'm doing a terrible job this morning. I'm sorry. All right, so here's the deal. This is gonna be a part of a larger display, but here's, here's what's gonna happen. Each week as we share the gospel with people, that those five people whose names that you've written down on Sunday, when you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with them, you're going to write their name on a white ping pong ball. And then we're going to drop them, hopefully, in there. We'll grease it up. We'll, grease it up. we'll, we'll lube that bad boy up. But so what's going to happen throughout the year is we're going to see the effect that we're able to have as a church in our city is more and more gospel conversations are had. Because I think sometimes we feel like we're alone in this, Right? Sometimes we feel like we're the only ones doing it. So for every person we share the gospel with, we're going to write their name on a ping pong ball and we're going to drop it in here. But get this, for every person that responds to the gospel, for every person that places their faith in Jesus, we're going to use a 
different colored ball, and then we're going to drop that one in. And then at the end of the year, we're going to get to see the work that God is doing in our city and how we are actually making a difference. We're not just the people that are saying that we're bringing Jesus' kingdom to our city. We're a people that are actually doing that work. Now, let me encourage you just in a few ways before we conclude this morning. I really want us to settle into the reality of the fact that absolutely nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. Not you, not I. And there are two kinds of people. Every single person falls into one or two categories, right? There are, there are the children of God who profess their faith in Jesus, who call upon his name. And then there are the enemies of God who still remain under the condemnation of their sin. There's no neutrality. Every person that you encounter in your life is in one of these two camps, your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers. This is serious. And here's something else I want you to think about. The reality is that there's nothing in your life that you get to take into the next life. There's nothing in this life that you get to take to eternal life except for the disciples that you've made. That should uproot our priorities, right? That should cause us to reorganize our lives, right? The jobs that we work, the, the money that we pursue, the, the, the different possessions we try and lay hold of are one day all gonna end up in a trash heap. They're all in a one-way course with a junkyard. The only thing that we take from this life into the next is the people who we've shared the gospel of Jesus with and who've received that gospel. That should mark our lives. We should prioritize our lives around this. But now here's some encouragement for you as you go out this week and as we endeavor to have opportunities to speak the name of Jesus. Number one, you're not alone, okay? At the end of the Great Commission, right, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Go and to teach and to baptize in his name. He said, and behold, I will be with you always. There's never a conversation that you're gonna engage in that you have to do so alone because Jesus is with you. And also, this is huge. Please know this. It's not in your ability to persuade or to save people. You and I are actually terrible at this. <laughs> we can either persuade people and we cannot save people, right? So we can go and we can give of the gospel freely with the assurance that it is God the Father who draws. It is Jesus who saves and it's the Spirit who regenerates and gives people the ability to profess faith in him. So know what you're responsible for. You're not responsible for the results. We're just responsible for opening our mouths. And thirdly, success is certain. We're not engaging in a mission that may or may not pan out. Here's the deal. Jesus told us that when we pray to our Father, we are to pray that his kingdom come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has told us how to pray. This is what Jesus desires for our city. But get this, it also says that the word of the Lord will not return void. Your efforts are not going to be in vain. And thirdly, God has already willed it to be so. There's coming a day when every person, every tribe, tongue and nation will bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. So it's not a matter of if, if it's coming, it's a matter of when. And the when is determined upon our willingness to get in the fight, to share the gospel. 
So I want to leave you um, with a couple of things here. The quote, this quote is a great one. We've been using it in our partnership class lately. It's from Charles Spurgeon. It says this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to say, and if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Church, this is what the Lord has called us to. And in Luke 12, 32, Jesus had this to say. He said, fear not. For those of you that are feeling anxiety, for those of you that are fearing rejection, Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the good news. God, we just confess, God, that we were the rebels, that we were those who had turned away from you, that we were those who had sinned against you, that we were those who had sought our own glory instead of your glory, and in so doing, had separated ourselves from you. God, that we were on a one-way train to judgment, condemnation, and hell. But God, we thank you that in your loving kindness, you weren't willing to let us meet the end of ourselves. You weren't contented to let us get there, but rather you stepped down from your throne in glory. You came into this earth. You lived the holy life we failed to live. You took the beatings for sin that we deserve. You took the death that we deserve. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave to conquer sin and death's power over us. And now through our profession of faith and calling upon your name, we have new life, a life beyond the grave, a life overcoming the sin that we struggle with, a life with you eternally in heaven. And God, every day we're surrounded by people who don't know you because they've never been given the opportunity to hear about you. So God, I pray that by your spirit that you would just begin moving us, that you'd begin stirring our hearts, that we would lay hold of the reality that, that, that we are your plan A for this city, God, and there's not a plan B. So God, we'll be a, a people that are deeply rooted in prayer. God, we'll be a people that regularly pray for the lost in our midst. God, would we be a, would we be a people that ask good questions, like a good physician, seeking out the brokenness in, in the area that needs remedy. And God, then would we prescribe your gospel. God, for every curse, for every sin, for every heartache, you are the cure. God, we need you. And we look forward to seeing the day when this vision becomes a reality because he who called us is faithful to do it. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all for Jesus' glory. Amen.